and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. It's a Thursday culture show for you. Jesse Parker-Humphreys and producer Becky are with me. The international break is done and dusted, guys. We're going to chat about a lot of that today. Um, but before we get into it, I want to talk about the final three teams quickly that have made it to the World Cup because it's three new teams that have never been at the World Cup before. Haiti, Portugal and Panama. And... All of them had absolutely amazing scenes at the final whistle. A lot of emotion, a lot of tears. Uh, What did you guys make of the playoff tournament? Because it was pretty dramatic. Two of those three games had stoppage time winners. Uh, Yeah, an amazing way to kind of seal the final round of qualification, Jesse. Yeah, uh, really exciting finishes. Um, I think really fun as well when you see players from lots uh, teams from lots of different federations kind of coming together and and the kind of clash of styles and, and journeys that that teams have had to to get there. And really exciting. I think it, it, it's testament to kind of you know the continued growth of women's football across the world that new teams are, are still qualifying. Um, for the tournament, I did object to the fact it was New Zealand, so it really like stupid o'clock time. <laughs> but um, yeah, exciting. Um, I think Portugal and Haiti, especially, are, are two really exciting teams um, who I'm really looking forward to seeing at the World Cup. Yeah, there was a particular exciting talent in that Haiti team as well. 19-year-old midfielder Domine, who scored two goals in the final playoff game. And she's playing in France at the moment, Jesse. but Lyon have just signed her. So definitely one for the future, we think. Yeah, uh, one of the most exciting young players in the world. Uh, Leon obviously had a bit of a coup to get hold of her. Uh, lots of clubs, I think, were in for her and Keane, but she's obviously been playing in France already. So the kind of move move made sense. Um, but yeah, definitely a, a player who's really, really exciting. And I think you could see from the goals she scored just full of confidence right now and, and justifiably so. Uh, so definitely will be be one to watch at the World Cup, obviously in England's group as well. So, so that'll be fun. Um, although I do feel a bit sorry for Chile because I did kind of want Chile to go through and... Uh, and uh, for for friendship reasons, obviously, we have a Chilean friend. Um, but alas, it's, it's exciting for, for Haiti to make it. Uh, yeah, I think everyone was really shocked, really, to see that re- result. And obviously, like Christiana Enler, Ch- Chile goalkeeper, saved a penalty. And it's just such a big name in women's football right now. So the expectation just was that they were going to go through. Becky, I know um, you did a post on studs as well, because obviously there's a lot of... Political tensions in Haiti now anyway, but in football terms, this felt like an even bigger win because only this past week, the Court of Arbitration for Sport had announced that they were overturning a a lifetime ban that FIFA had put down uh, uh, against uh, the former president of the Haitian Football Association uh, around allegations of sexual harassment and sexually abusing women's footballers. So um, obviously there's a lot of frustration and anger around what's happened the past week. So the fact that they've qualified for this tournament takes on an even bigger meaning as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's so huge for them against the background of like absolutely incomprehensible um, abuse and, and not just... Um, sexual harassment and abuse but like uh, markers of trafficking like passports being taken away from young women in within the Haitian Football Federation um, so it's just such a big win for them and it's their win not the the Federation's win at all and yeah it's just a shocking shocking decision from the Court of Arbitration for Sport because obviously with a, a current um, unrest in the country itself. Those survivors of that abuse really have like no um, 
recourse to to fight that decision because they that it's just not a priority right now um and three three men on that panel just a shocking really horrible decision so yeah it's a huge win for them and i think that they were um they spoke really well about the background of of um unrest in the country and what football can do and what it can mean for people to you know feel some happiness and joy in football yeah, I think that's what they certainly talked about before the game and afterwards is this is an escape for so many of us and we're so excited to have this opportunity. On today's show, we're going to do a little bit of Culture Corner because we've all been very cultured recently, going to the theatre, going to the cinema. So we're going to catch up on all the various bits we're doing, but we also need to do an Arnold Clark Cup vibe check because the second annual Arnold Clark Cup has just finished. England winning it, I guess unsurprisingly. So we're going to do a little vibe check there. And also we're going to chat about Love Island because we are all big Love Island fans. Not everyone listens to this show will be into Love Island. If you're not a fan, you might want to skip through that section. But if you are if you are a fan, you'll probably enjoy that chat. But we're coming towards the end of this season's uh, edition of Love Island and it's all kind of reaching the most dramatic climax. So we're going to touch on that as well. And we're going to get into all of that after this. So, guys, Arnold Clark Cup vibe check. Arnold Clark champions, you'll never sing that. You will never sing that because it's back-to-back, baby. Get those T-shirts done. Um, <laughs> look, first things first, can we all agree that it wasn't the most memorable Arnold Clark Cup of all time? I know we've only had They're two. They're always memorable. I know we've only had two, but I personally feel like... There wasn't the same je ne sais quoi about this year's Arnold Clark Cup as there was I about... I think there was. You think there was, Second right? Okay, Becky. seasons are always more disappointing. <laughs> Second season <laughs> syndrome, right, Becky? Okay, you disagree with me. Hit me why you think. Hit me with why you think it was. It was. It was still as good. I think you weren't there to to. I think you two, especially, like you really soaked up the chaos while you were physically at the Arnold Clark Cup. I didn't go last year because I annoyingly have to work on it from home. Boo. I've never experienced Arnold Clark chaos in real life. Um, I'm a fraud. <laughs> Fake man. Fake man. Plastic Arnold Clark Cup fan. <laughs> um, no, I, I live and breathe the Arnie C Cup. <laughs> Arnie C. That's what I live for. I don't care about the Women's World Cup. This is this was my Women's World Cup. So, so you um, think there was still the same USP about it this year, even if the teams and the games weren't yeah, as hard? Yeah, I think it's like, right. It's like what I wanted Magic Mike to be, which is so bad that it's good. Magic Mike, I'll talk about that later. We're going to talk about that later. Didn't, so. didn't hit that like I wanted it to. But Arnold Clark Cup is the perfect so bad it's good entertainment. Okay. I mean, I guess I can't... I mean, I wouldn't say it was so bad. I wouldn't say it was so bad. I, I think, you know, England did well in this in this competition and that's all that Serena Vimin wanted and I guess all the fans wanted it also had this sort of like championship tour feeling about it in terms of coming back after they've won the Euros selling out that Bristol game getting some really good attendances at the other games as well especially for the commentary game so there was still a vibe about it that's really positive but I think it just lacked the ironic charm that we got last year uh, and it just felt a little bit cheap to me like 
I just felt like some of the vibes weren't as good as they could they could be. And I feel like last year there was such a big opportunity for how unbelievably and surprisingly popular and a cultural moment that the Arnold Clark Cup <laughs> became. And I just felt like no one's really harnessed that. I don't know how you feel, Jesse. Well, I think last year, part of it is that England played three games which they were kind of expected to lose. Like, I don't think it would have been a travesty if England had lost to Canada, Germany and Spain last year, given where England were and given where we saw those teams as being. I think further along, you're now like, okay, maybe it makes sense because like Canada and Spain are a bit messy. And then you just added in, I think, the the bizarreness of the whole thing, whether it was like Serena Wigman putting Millie Bright up front to score and and all of that kind of like really odd stuff remember when hannah hampton was like oh yeah i was like spying on the spanish attack because i can speak <laughs> spanish and it's like hun like what, what was what that's not that spying mean? that's just understanding them to people speak <laughs> um whereas i feel like this one obviously obviously england went into it and the nature of england's success meant there probably weren't many teams who could have come to play in it that england wouldn't have expected to win but i think these three teams in in particular um you know, the expectation was there. But England also played really well, and that was, like, part of the fun. Uh, my highlight is I was seeing Americans tweet that England are the best team in the world. So I don't know if they're doing that to psych us out, but I enjoyed it. I think that that's exactly what it is. Like, we were, like, just cast your mind back to this time last year, and we were being so ridiculous, being like, it's coming home, like, we're going to win the Euros, like, jokingly. Like, I don't know, there was, like, some some belief there I don't think it was like completely like we're never gonna do it but like that we were being like we were trying stupid. to manifest it we weren't making yeah, predictions we, no yeah it's like it's like when when for the men's team forever when you sing it's coming home like there's like an ironic like part to it which is like we're terrible we've always been terrible and I think that like other countries don't really understand that. I remember after we lost to Italy and I went to Italy to visit a friend and they were like, um, they were like, God, you were so arrogant about winning, like saying it's coming home, it's coming home. And I'm like, no, but like, we didn't actually believe that. And I think that's how, kind of how, where we were with England women last year is like, we had this big tournament coming up after like years of like pretty much being a bit of a hot mess with Phil Neville. And so, yeah, there's there's no, the irony is lost because actually we are just good now. I know. What do we do now that we're quite good? Because as an English football fan, for men's and women's, that is actually quite difficult to reckon with because we're, meant not, we're not meant to be good. It's meant to be funny and depressing. It's quite hard to actually <laughs> have expe- expectation now to do well, but that's kind of changed things. I want to talk as well about... Player of the tournament, Golden Boot, because obviously last year we had the Millie Bright Madness, which is also one of the reasons why the Arnold Clark Cup became so iconic. Now, this year we had Lauren James winning Player of the Tournament, which makes so much sense, and getting a little hug off Farrah Williams at, at the final whistle when they handed over the trophy, and Chloe Kelly getting the Golden Boot. So... Like you say, Becky, things are following a bit more of a standard footballing trajectory now. I guess as England get good, will there be less chaos and fun, Jesse? Are we yeah. should we start to expect normality now? No, we should start by giving Leah Williamson credit because she really tried in that game to take the golden boot for herself. <laughs> she wanted an English defender 
to bring that home. So I would say thank you, Captain Leah. She had the spirit <laughs> of Arnold Clark within her in the Belgian <laughs> game. In her veins. Um, I think the chaos will continue just because I think what is so fun about this England team is they are a really like funny bunch of gals. And I think they will always have like silliness within them. And I think you can see that even in the game. Like I thought it was a really fun final game, mainly because we scored lots of goals and everyone was quite good. Um, but yeah, I think obviously the expectations are changed. You can't go into, we can't go into matches as underdogs now and then find it funny if we win because like we're just not <laughs> yeah. underdogs in any game. Like there is no opponent in the world right now who I would feel like we were underdogs against. We also nearly got a little bit of that February March chaos as well because Georgia Stanway had a little bit of an argy bargy with Cassie Masipo as well in the first half. Not quite Georgia Stanway pulling Tobin Heath's hair at the 2020 She Believes Cup, but you know we're getting there. That's what we want. We want a little, we want these little sparks of of chaos. These little bit sparks of just like funny things happening that we'll all remember. But overall, for a vibe check, how do you think it compares to? version one better what are we thinking i don't think it's be- i don't think it could ever be better that was like a, that was a, a a cultural shift everything changed <laughs> i agree Nothing was everything. the same i agree that I'm changed a different forever. person <laughs> people i was forever changed people talk about sky sports and the premier league changing football fifa yeah. and the new club world cup Qatar, the Qatar World Cup changing football. No, it is the Arnold Clark Cup. The European Patron Super Saint League has nothing on this. Has nothing on this. Do you know what? I think you guys might be right. We'll have to see what happens next year. Um, but overall, I enjoyed it. England won it. And uh, more of the same, please, before we've got that game against Australia now scheduled. We kind of touched on that on Monday's show, but that's been confirmed now. Um, and there's also the finale. Finalissima? Is that how you pronounce it or is that terrible? Finalissima, uh, which is also that. So there's Thursday and Tuesday of that Easter weekend with uh, England playing Brazil at Wembley. Sold out, should be a good one. And also uh, the game at Brentford between Australia and England has also sold out. So people are mad for the Lionesses right now and long may it continue. Oh my gosh, this time I might actually get a pizza at Brentford. My dream, my Euros dreams were shattered when I tried last time. Well, it was sold out or? They, they'd closed. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know. Can I just say Australia would be my dream Arnold Clark opponents? Yeah. Because what we were talking about on Monday's show about them being chaotic. So I feel like there's going to be the spirit of Arnold Clark with that Brentford game. Definitely. And I think there were rumours that they were going to join the Arnold Clark Cup as was one of the final teams, I think, last year. But sadly, never quite happened. But there's still hope. Um, right. That is enough of the football chat. Let is, let's get into Culture Corner right now. Right. So obviously we are all very talented um, football journalists, heads, pundits, broadcasters, whatever. But we also we also love a bit of culture. We love a bit of art. We're not just football huns. We are also culture vultures. Uh, you guys both went to go see West End Sensation Orlando starring iconic non-binary hun also known as uh, Diana in The Crown, 
Emma Corrin, and I want to hear all about it because although I love going to the theatre and, and uh, you know, we're going to watch movies, I also um, don't really read. So Orlando is not a text that I've come across in my life, but I know it's a seminal piece of writing. So tell me about what you thought about this absolute stunner of a piece. Um, I'm a big fan of the book and I was sceptical because um, for anyone who doesn't know, the book is basically... Uh, a story that stretches from from the 16th century up to what was present day when it was written, so 1920, um, about a person called Orlando who defies age and time and gender. Um, so in some ways, it's like it's not a fantasy novel, but I guess it has the tropes of being like this very like it's not it's not realism. Um, and I wasn't sure how they were going to be able to do that on stage. And I think there were bits of it which they didn't quite capture because I don't know if you can. And that's like kind of the beauty of the book. But I thought Emma Corrin was really, really good. And I was sceptical because um, I haven't seen The Crown and I didn't really know much about them. Um, and I was like, are they really going to be able to like live up to this part? But they did. They were really cool. So that was my review. Um, my favourite part of the experience of going to see it was that um, the theatre was obviously like, oh shit, the queers are coming. <laughs> and had on the disabled toilet just put a piece of paper that was like gender neutral bathroom. <laughs> we, I was like, nice one guys, killed it. We have to prepare for this. Becky, going into it, did you know much about Orlando or were you mainly going for the queer vibes? No, I haven't read it, um, but I did get in there um, and I was I went on my own um, and I ended up sat next to this nice uh, older woman um, and she was um, very chatty which I loved and she had asked me if I'd read it and we had a nice chat about it um, and um, she like about like halfway through the conversation kind of mentioned that she was here with her partner and I was like cute um, we just had like a nice little chat about being gay <laughs> um and then afterwards she was like it ends with something about i can't remember now so i went about a month ago um about it you know now being the time or whatever and she she kind of repeated that to me like in like a you've got this like a little you, pep you'll be talk. okay yeah it was very sweet she was very nice I love that. I Everyone love that. should get a gay pep talk included with the <laughs> with their, ticket. With their ticket, you get free. You should pep be able talk. to pay a five pound supplement. <laughs> Into put me next talk. to an old lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, I had a similar vibe on Monday because I went to the Royal Court and I wanted to see Sound of the Underground, which is on in the main theatre there, and it was also similar vibe, Becky with all the gays are coming to watch this show and, um, you know, everyone knew everyone and it was like, oh, I know this person or no, I know the writer, I know the director, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I was actually just going to see the small play upstairs because I couldn't get a ticket <laughs> to the main theatre. So I missed out on it. Uh, and it actually closes Saturday, sadly, so I'm not going to get to go and it's all sold out and I regret not going. But that is kind of more of a sort of cabaret show. But the show that I was watching upstairs in the studio, which is seats about 200 people, was called Graceland and it was by Ava Wong Davies. And it was a one woman show and it was a, a woman called Sabrina Wu playing the character. And I, I presume it's autobiographical, but I don't really know. Um, but that was a very good piece and I really enjoyed it. And the 
and I think what's great about the Royal Court especially, because this is what I find quite hard sometimes about theatre in London, is it is so expensive. And I don't know what you guys paid for your Orlando tickets, but I presume they weren't very cheap. My mum bought me the ticket for Christmas Aww. because I was supposed to go with someone else and then didn't. <laughs> uh, my girlfriend's so I... boyfriend bought me the ticket, so... Huh? Huh? My, sorry, my girlfriend's brother. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> How very progressive. Wow, I didn't realise you were in a throuple. Huge. Huge news, just dropped. Breaking news on the pod. It was a very uh, queer Orlando outing. <laughs> taking the thruple to Orlando but yeah what's great about the Royal Court is they do these Monday drop tickets at 9am where you can get to see a show for 12 quid so it makes it far more accessible the National do a similar vibe with their Friday uh, Friday rush tickets which I think are 20 quid these days so yeah it just makes things a lot more accessible and that's the issue I've found ever since the pandemic I just have got out of the habit and then we were talking about this the other day Jesse if you're not really on it and organized you can end up just paying through the nose and if I'm not going to see something and I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it then throwing 50 quid at a ticket feels quite painful but 12 quid regardless I wouldn't feel too bad about um, about going to watch it. But Jesse, I don't know if you have any, you know, as a as a not reformed theatre kid, because just because you're working in football doesn't mean you're not doing theatre anymore. But I know you, you know, you used to work a lot in theatre and it was a big part of your life. But do you have any other tips of the trade to get good tickets to shows and not pay an absolute fortune? Uh, when I worked at the National Theatre, you used to get free tickets. Um, I don't know if you still do, but maybe get a job at the National Theatre. <laughs> that was good. Um, good tip. I think, you, yeah, it is just that thing. You it, you have to be organised. And I think if you're organised, you can normally um, find good free ones, even like in the... Like, I went to see Jerusalem last year and I just, when the tickets went on sale, um, tried to get them and managed to get some like 30 quid ones. Like, the seats weren't amazing, but like, it was fine. Um... Yeah, and I think also like sometimes returns can be good options because but they can be a bit hit or miss. So I think phoning up like I went to see Streetcar and there was someone we bumped into there who'd like just phoned up on the day and managed to get a return, like going on their own. Um but yeah, I think unfortunately organization is key. I recommend following um Timeout Theatre on Twitter because they do lots of good tweets reminding you when tickets go on sale and what's on and what's gonna be cool to go and see, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've done lots of sitting in returns queues with my mum and a book hoping to get one. And to be honest, I think I had a pretty good success rate. More often than not. If you go early, I remember once when the ferryman was on, I went at like 6am and queued from then to get tickets. But then I got got like 20 quid tickets to the ferryman. Yeah, I've done that for a a couple of sort of West End Shakespeare ones turned up at like 6am with a coffee. And my brother camped out for Jerusalem original with Mark Rylance, what, maybe 10 years ago. That was ridiculous. Um, But also what I would say, and this is something that I used to do a lot, if you're under 25... Uh, which we no longer are, sadly. They do so many good uh, schemes and stuff. I don't know if they're still running since the pandemic, but they certainly used to, where you can get access to really good concessions. And I know the National, I think, maybe still do some of them and the Royal Court definitely do some kind of concessions. Barbican, I think, is good as well for that kind of young person, age group that we're not part of anymore. 
Yeah, we've still got that 26 or 30 rail card, but sadly, Holding the arts on to that for as long as are I dead can. to us. <laughs> <laughs> we can just get the train to places. And I would also recommend as well, if you want cheaper stuff, is go actually going to regional theatre. Because yeah. that's actually, if you don't live in London, like I don't. I went to Chichester at the weekend and saw Bugsy Malone, the first professional <gasps> touring production with children. Um, it wasn't the best thing I've ever seen, but it was hilarious. So I'd never seen Bugsy Malone before. Um, I love Bugsy Malone. Do you Malone. think Flo's performance would have, as a child, would have been better? That was oh, Guides absolutely. and Dolls, but similar. Oh, sorry, I, think sorry. You would have, I could really see you in Bugsy Malone, Flo. I actually think that could be your calling. No, do you know what? When I was a kid, it was like me and my brother's favourite movie. We used to, we had it on VHS. We used to watch it all the Who time. Who would you want and, to play if you were doing it? Oh, I would want to be, um, you know, uh, like what that guy, the slightly chubby guy who's Fat Sam's, like really stupid. Uh, Knuckles. <laughs> Knuckles. Yeah, that would be me. That would yeah, be, I'd I'd be Knuckles. That for you. Yeah, that makes I, a lot I, of sense. I'd love that, yeah. Oh, Bugsy Malone, what a film. Um, yeah, and then definitely the regional theatre thing because Standing on the Sky's Edge is a musical that's out of the National at the moment, which is all about Sheffield. It's written by one of the guys from uh, Pol. I think my friend went to go see that because it's a co-production with the Sheffield Theatre at the Crucible and I think paid like 30 quid and it's about 50 quid minimum in London so there you go but I suppose you've got the train then to try and get that rail card um <laughs> Also wanted to talk movies because, uh, Becky, you went to go see Magic Mike um, and I've heard some actually decent reviews of it. I've never really watched who? Well, Who have you been talking this to? This podcast I listen to, Who Weekly, shout out Lindsay and Bobby is my favourite podcast. On their Patreon, they gave it a fantastic review. They're a big, they're big fans of the whole franchise. Now, I've actually never really engaged with the Magic Mike franchise that much, but you were not happy with the final instalment. I cannot believe that anybody would rate that good it was like the worst thing i've ever seen and like there was like i went i, th I said this on the valentine's day episode went to watch it with my housemate on valentine's day at Peckinplex. and i don't know if you've ever been to Peckinplex, but it, it's like i don't really understand how because it's obviously always different people but it's always like the most engaged like rowdy audience ever um which makes going to see things really fun i went to see megan there and it was hysterical because everybody was just like absolutely pissing themselves and like whooping and cheering and um so i was like right the vibe is going to be perfect valentine's day magic mike 9 p.m showing it was just like entirely women <laughs> there was two lesbian couples on Valentine's Day, who went to see Magic Mike, and love that for their they relationship. Really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they really saved the day as well because Peck and Plex is great. I've never had any issues, but I feel like recently, my friends have been having a couple of issues. Like my friend went to see something and they left the lights on the whole time, and then another <laughs> another friend went to see something and the, all the adverts played, and then someone came in and was like, "I'm really sorry, but the trainee has accidentally deleted the film off the." <laughs> Stop of the it. system so like here's a voucher Stop come it. back another day oh my <laughs> um, god and the same kind of thing was happening to us so like the lights stayed on um and so one of the lesbians went out to like how do you know she a was word. a lesbian they were, they were, it was two couples no, but how, oh, two separate couples they weren't together right but how do you know so they, they were a couple how are you like oh that's a lesbian oh okay okay are these and also they looked gay okay. <laughs> were like, come on Flo where's your gaydar <laughs> I love the way you're like. So one of the lesbians got up to complain, like lesbians do. A classic. 
they really took control of the situation so one of the lesbians goes and like goes out and then the guy comes in and literally just like turns off the like a light switch like in a home just at the back of the cinema and so we were like okay cool and then it was really quiet so then another one of the lesbians from a different couple then went out to like say it's really quiet can you turn it up um my highlight was apart from that was the first time that Channing Tatum came on screen a girl at the front literally whooped (laughs) Um, and also I'll get to the film part in a minute I'm just telling you about the experience right now also there was this woman who like about halfway through the film I don't know what she was unpacking or like what snack it was, but it like it was like it was I sounded like she was opening an ASOS package. Like it was so much plastic. It was it was like so much rustling. And me and my housemate were like pissing ourselves laughing, like, what is she doing? Um and then the film. It's like the worst piece of cinema I've ever experienced. Like I was actively waiting for it to be over. Um, was it long as well? <sighs> I could not tell you. It felt like the longest thing I've ever watched. It's like, you know, like a a rom-com. Like, I know what I want from a rom-com. It's like so bad that it's good. Not always. Like, there are great rom-coms. But like, often I just want something that's like really like smooth brain. Like, I don't have to think about it. Like, it's enjoyable. You know they're going to get together. There's some trials and tribulations along the way. I, that's what I want from Magic Mike, but also with some stripping. There was like a 10 minute strip scene at the beginning where Channing Tatum is like, I mean, basically shagging Salma Hayek, <laughs> but they've got their clothes on. So like, that was enjoyable. Like everyone was like, woo. Um, and and then there's like this whole film and then like another like 10 minute stripping scene at the end, like just space it out in between lads um and it's like it was trying to be profound like the it was honestly they (laughs) it was like they were trying to make a statement about like how women can have it all and um and they like they were going on as if they were like creating something so in the film they're like kind of creating a I don't, play I don't, it's not a play was it, was it meant stripping. to be was it meant to be sort of a nod as well to the live show is what I've sort of read that yes, maybe they're talking about so. that yes I think so because that is a, essentially they're like oh we've, we're taking this like old like sexist play and making it like incredible and showing that women can have it all and in the end it is just like basically what I assume the live show is which is just like lots of different men dancing um and like I'm fine with that I went to see Magic Mike and I know what I'm getting into but like <laughs> it's just that it's not profound you've not done something amazing and you're not like reversing sexism it was honestly bizarre and I my husband went to the toilet as soon as we got out so I was like stood outside the screen um and we'd sat right at the back so everyone was coming out and everyone was just like oh my god that was terrible. It was the worst thing I've ever seen. It sounded like you absolutely hated it, Becky, but give me a rating out of five for Magic Mike 3. What's it actually called, the official title? Um, the Last Dance. Magic Mike's Last Dance, out of five. Um, I, I think it's no surprise to anyone that I'm going to give it zero. Zero? Not even Honestly. a 0.5 or a 1. Wow. No, and you know what? I might have given it a one, but um, the thing that's pushed me over the edge into zero is 
one when they're on the stage like there's this woman like presenting the strip show and she's like <laughs> it's so bad she's like and now i'm gonna talk into my magic mic like <laughs> microphone <laughs> so 0.5 no like, for that i think that i was like you can five. you can you can use you can definitely put the name of the film into the film in a better way than that. So I'm sorry, zero out of five. Well, well, a film I really enjoyed that I would give, I think, five out of five is Blue Jean, a lovely queer film that uh, was had quite a dark premise around Section 28 and Thatcher's Britain and homosexuality in schools and homophobia and that that era but it had a lovely nice ending to it um no spoilers i'm going no to spoilers. see it on yeah no spoilers but um you go into it being like god where is this going to lead me but beautifully shot i also had a, i sat on a in on a q and a with um the lead in it and the director and one of the producers as well so that was really interesting to kind of hear around the process on how they made it because um a lot it's really interesting i think when you do especially with lower budget films when you do hear about how much was not planned and it's like oh that just happened because we couldn't get the rights to this or we had to shoot there but what was really interesting especially for you going in to see it Becky is that what I didn't realize actually is in the research for making the film they did loads of interviews with teachers during that time and they ended up setting it around Newcastle around that area because a few of the women they spoke to had really deep roots there. So it was really interesting because I kind of expected most of it to probably, they would go for like a London setting. But I think they said that, you know, a lot of London p teachers probably had a, you know, when they spoke to them had a very different experience. Some of it was a lot better because it was just in a more kind of diverse city. But it was the rural, regional experiences that really spoke to them. Um, so, yeah, a really good movie. Would recommend people go and see it. I think it is a BFI slash BBC funded project as well. So, you know, British films for British workers <laughs> vibes. <laughs> Brexit means Brexit. Of the football world, I'm obviously joking. Um, but yeah. I'm reading an interesting book at the moment, actually, which um, is about um, lesbians in Britain who were born in the first half of the 20th century. And it is just like so like funny how many stories you read. So it's like lots of little stories of women telling their, basically their life stories. Um, and it is so funny how many lesbians in that time were just PE teachers it's just like so common like I would say I say like at least 50% of those stories are teachers or specifically PE teachers well I, I know that when the work dries up I will just become a PE teacher I know that that is my <laughs> other profession that will probably come calling in PE my PE teacher of the day former in Bugsy Malone in the <laughs> night <laughs> the perfect duo um, well that was a lovely culture corner guys so from culture's corner to maybe a slightly uncultured television show uh love island that we've all been watching this year i do dip in in and out of love island because sometimes it doesn't hook me i have i have found this year a little bit boring in places but it felt like we finally reached the high drama and let's be honest what we all come for after casa amor where if people watch the show, you'll be very familiar, but it's basically when 
the house gets split into boys and girls and normally the, either the boys or the girls go off to a separate villa next door and they meet a whole other bunch of people and it happens every year and it's kind of the best bit of the whole season really and this season had been quite dry really there hadn't been a lot of drama and that's what we we all come for but Casa Moore really lit the flame for what we all needed and then this week we saw movie night which anyone who's also familiar with the show will know but it's another sort of highlight of the season and it's where all the housemates watch back clips of each other either in Casa Moore or in other compromising situations and what we I would say just to sum it all up is the chickens come home to roost uh, Jesse what have you thought of this season and where we now lie a couple of weeks I think the final is 5th of March same day as the Conti oh no 6th of March the day after the Conti Cup final so iconic what Two iconic finals in one weekend. <laughs> but Jesse, what have you made of this season and where we're leading up to now with the final not far away? Um, I've got to be honest, I am a couple of days behind due to Champions <gasps> League football. Um, it's always annoying when the Champions League is on at the same time as Love Island. That is actually my big complaint every year because I want to go to bed at 10.30. So I don't want to watch it on Plus One. Um, once the Champions League's done, that's bedtime for me. Uh, so, but I have enjoyed sort of this series. I actually found that whilst I thought Castle Moore was going to be exciting, it kind of underwhelmed me when it became apparent that everyone was just going to take everyone back um maybe with a couple of notable exceptions um and so that's kind of why i've switched off post castro more but i will catch up over well not tonight because now there's the europa league tonight um tomorrow i normally that's what i do is on friday they need an omnibus on friday i will watch like three or four hours of it so that's where i will be on friday night when you when you're doing that though you're missing the best part which is the Spotify. I know, it killed me. Every time chat. I have to put mute for eight hours, I feel sad. I know. That's what I had to do last night. So, yes, listeners, we have a WhatsApp group for the Counterpress pod. And obviously, we put things in there like a bit of podcast admin, a bit of funny chat, but it's now transformed into Love Island commentary. And anyone that watches Love Island will know that that's the best bit about watching Love Island. It's about joining in the Twitter conversation. It's about experiencing it with other people. And it's about that community. It's about being in on a big in joke and, you know, giving your thoughts and comments. So... Watching Love Island, having the Counter Press group chat has taken it to another level because we've all got our opinions, our memes, our conversations. And it's actually made me want to watch Love Island a lot more now because I don't want to be out the loop. Becky, I know you have particular feelings about Jesse and Will because they basically, we'll try and fill in a few gaps here, but they were a very strong couple, Farmer Will from TikTok, who lots of people will know, and Jesse, who's an Aussie who was on the Australian Love Island. They're a very strong couple in the season. But then Will went to Casa Moore and kissed another girl and was flirting with who her. Who went a lot, to Flow School? Who went to my school, spoiler alert. Um, and he ended up deciding not to couple with her and cut things off a day or two into Castro Moore. But obviously, he found uh, Jesse found out about it, was very upset. And their relationship is back on track, but it's hit another rocky stage because of movie night. And Becky, you were saying last night in the group chat, you feel like they've just got to decide, are they in or they out? Because in the moment, things are dragging and it's kind of the worst of both worlds, right? Yeah, and look, I can say that from like 
out here not stuck in a villa with that person like i, I can it would see be how hell. Would be so much worse like you have no time to like decompress from anything but like i'm and, and i feel a bit harsh actually saying it now but like jesse you have to forgive him or you have to let it go because it's too early on your relationship to have this like huge like lack of trust that you can never get over like just put him out of his misery put you put both of you out of your misery or or just like forgive him and I again I think that's really hard because she doesn't have any time to like go and talk to her friends outside of like being around him she's around him all the time she has to share a bed with him like obviously that's way harder so I'm not I'm not judging but like make a decision just just forgive him or don't yeah we have to say this is not about jesse on counter press this is about <laughs> jesse in it does make me feel well. like every time you say like jesse i'm like <laughs> like a dog <laughs> jesse saw your life out all right um and then the other big will they won't they is around shack and tanya who both re or, or uh, sorry, Tanya recoupled as the, the the official term in Castlemore walked in with a new man called Martin, and which is I'm sorry, no one born in 2000 <laughs> should be called Martin. That's an old man's name. I couldn't believe that. Um, anyway, she walks in with Martin and Shaq who she was with they said I love you to each other after about what two weeks is like what the hell they are back but also on rocky ground Jesse not Love Island Jesse here now talking I I feel like that has just got chaos doom written all over it I don't know how they're still going I can't stand Tanya like she has annoyed me <laughs> all the way through <laughs> because she just lives in a world of hypocrisy and I hate it because it's just <laughs> one rule for her and like another rule for everyone else and it was like when everyone came back from Castro Moor she was like acting like the boys had done bad shit but she'd been even worse because she came back with a different guy and I've just honestly got no time for her at all <laughs> Every evening, me and my housemate will say to each other, like, at least three times, she's done the worst thing that anyone has ever done in Casa Amor. You can't tell someone that you love them. And I mean, look, when they said I love you to each other after, like, three weeks, I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, that is honestly ridiculous. But you can't say I love you and then go to Casa Amor and just bring someone back, like, and be like... I just wanted to get to know him. Shaq, screw your head on. You're a mug. If you if you carry on going out there, you're a mug. I've got to agree. I think I think she's she's kind of a little, little bit deluded to think that that's this is perfectly acceptable and someone's a bit mad for getting upset. But I think that's the epitome of Love Island is it's this weird bubble where normal relationship cues and contexts and everything just don't exist because you are surrounded by this person you fancy who you are thrown into this intense experience with and you basically become like you're living together straight away and that's why we watch it as this kind of freak show social experiment and we love it but then also we all feel a little bit dirty about it and we don't know whether we should and obviously the the series itself has some darkness to it too but it do you feel like we're aging out of Love Island. So I felt that a lot last year. I I felt the last summer edition was quite disappointing, quite boring, and I felt like I thought actually the whole series' time has come. I, th I felt like 
I don't know how much longer this concept can continue because we've seen Netflix, we've seen, you know, Big Brother's coming back, for God's sake, but we've seen other reality shows kind of rethink the idea of this kind of romantic matchmaking experiment. And so I just don't know if this this experiment and this show, which had such a cultural moment, you know, at its peak a few years ago, can still carry on. I don't know about the longevity. I don't know what you think, Jesse. All I will say is that when Olivia was the oldest contestant and she was 27 and I'm 28, I was like, I should probably not be watching this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we yeah. are getting we are getting chucked off this this audience, I think, because the audience is getting younger. We're getting older. The contestants keep saying they're 27 when they're definitely 32. So there's nothing <laughs> we can do anymore. Um, that is it for today's show. We hope you enjoyed this little dip in the toe of the water of, of Love Island. Probably going to be doing a bit more Love Island stuff with Julie and Kate as their big fans in the run-up to the final, maybe after the final with a with a bit of a Conti Cup twist as well. And uh, yeah, we'll be back on Monday with the usual stuff. Obviously a big weekend of FA Cup action. But for now, have a good weekend and see you on Monday. 